Amen, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to dive right in. Praise the Lord. Conformed to His image. That's what we're going to start a new series today. The potter and the clay. Conformed to His image. But my question here before we start, do we even want to change? Now think about that. What about when your husband tries to change you wives? Do you resist that? Or, or, or what about wives, I mean husbands, when your wife tries to change you? I mean, we don't, people get married all the time thinking, oh, they're just 90% perfect and that other 10% I'll change. I'll work on, well, 30 years down the road, how's that going for you, that change in someone, huh? We, we really, we say we want to change in church, but we don't live like we really want to be changed. So we're going to look at this. I'm, I've been fascinated with my study of it. I hope you are as well. Praise the Lord. God, this is Max Lucado. God loves you just the way you are. But he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be just like Jesus. So let's clarify that. God loves you on your best day, on your worst day. God loves you when you're doing good, when you're messing up. God loves you when you're being pious or loves you when you're being worldly. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you just the way you are. He loves you. Don't question that anymore. But He refuses to leave you that way. Because He wants you to be a son and a daughter just like Jesus. God's ultimate intention, you find it in Romans, Romans 8, 28, 29. Two of the most popular, famous verses in the Bible. Maybe 28 is, 29 not so much. 28 says we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. And the only way you can understand that is to understand the next verse because you've got to see the big picture. How can all these painful things work together for good? Because for whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers. See, God wants sons and daughters conformed into the image of Jesus. He wants you to have Jesus' mind, Jesus' spirit, Jesus' behavior, Jesus' life lived through you. He wants you to be just like him. Now, most Christians just want to go to heaven when they die. And they'll come to church to reinforce that belief that when they die, they're going to go to heaven. <laughs> But they really don't want to go much deeper than that. See, it's God's ultimate intention to change you and make you like his son. God's a potter, we're the clay. Isaiah 64 says, and yet, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, you're the potter. We are all formed by your hand. So when you start to realize that God's a potter and you're on a potter's wheel and he's bending you and shaping you and molding you and making you, it's a lifelong process since the day you got born again to the day you check out of here. That whole period of time, God's in the process of changing you. Some like it and some don't. Most don't want to go any deeper or higher because they don't want any more pain. They don't want any more pressure. They don't want to go through the fire. They don't want to go through the flood. So they just resist change and try to live as comfortable as they possibly can. The whole problem with God's ultimate intention is God wants to change us and make us sons and daughters in the image of Christ. But we really don't want to change. I'm hoping I'll say this enough times you may start wondering, hmm... I wonder if I don't want to change. Remember four chair discipling? First chair was for the unbelievers. There's always got to be a chair at return for the unbeliever. Second chair is for the believer. 
you advance. You go from not believing to believing. You go from being dead in Adam to alive in Christ. Now you're born again. You're a believer. You need to be uh, interested in discipleship that you might grow and move to the third chair, which is ministry or worker. You will help other people. Quit thinking about yourself and start thinking about others. And then that fourth chair is the disciple chair. That chair, disciples make disciples. And God wants the whole church here moving all the way up that progression to the fourth chair where we become disciples. Most Christians are believers. Very few Christians are disciples. All Christians are believers, but fewer disciples. Jesus wants not just fans, but followers. There's a big difference in a believer and a disciple. How do you progress from a being a believer to a disciple? It all begins with the desire to change. God already has that desire for you. That's his intention for you. What God wants to give you the same desire, that you would start praying, Lord, change me. Whatever it takes change me. Whatever I got to go through, change me. I want to line up with your will. I know your will is for me to be just like Jesus. So Lord Jesus, help me here. I'm willing to be made willing. I want to be changed. See, God's not going to violate your will. He's not going to change you unless you cooperate with that process. You got to want to be changed. Does that, does that make sense? More scriptures on it. First, second Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Galatians 4, 19, my little children, for whom I, again, in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So Paul was away in another place writing a letter to the Galatians saying, man, I'm in travail over, over the issue that... We need Christ to be formed in you. That's God's intention for your life. I'm praying that this nature of Christ, the character of Christ, the life of Christ would be formed in you. And see, you don't get all that the day you get saved. That's a process. It's a process of transformation. Romans 12, 2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I like the way NLT says this verse. Don't worry. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. See, it's your soul that needs transforming. Not your spirit, your soul. And and your soul is where your mind and your will and emotions live. that's, That's what houses your mind, your will, emotions. God wants us conformed to the image of His Son. That would be a pig. Now see, the thing about the pig is he's nasty. And uh, I'm going to tell you something right now. A pig is always going to be a pig. A pig's a pig. Oh, you may want, I've seen people bring, there's now these uh, high-end pigs, I guess, where they they live in the house like dogs, right? Any of y'all know a friend's got a pig in their house? And you can take a pig, you really can't clean him up. You can put some piggy deodorant under all four legs, some piggy perfume on him, give him some silk pajamas, give him a little bedroom, a piggy bedroom, bring him to your breakfast table and put a piggy bib on him and serve him human food. And, and you can try your best to educate him and teach him manners and dress him up. But as soon as that back door's cracked open, he can smell the barnyard 
he's going to run for the barnyard and wallow in the mud and the muck and the mire. Why? Because a pig is a pig. Now, human beings, yo, you can, you can dress them up. You can put a suit on them. You can get them educated. You can teach them manners. You, you can teach them the consequences of sin, and they can try to live their life to avoid consequences of sin. But you can dress them up. But human nature is always going to be human nature. You can't change it. No matter how hard society, some people in the world think education is the answer and just pour all the money into education and surely that will make us better human beings. No, a pig's a pig's a pig. He's always going to be a pig. And human nature can't just be groomed. It's got to be transformed. You've got to go from death to life. You, you need to go to be resurrected. You need a, a whole change. I don't know if any of y'all ever saw this before. In Genesis 4, God speaking directly to Cain. Directly to Cain, God says, one of the very first things he tells mankind, Genesis 4, he says, if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Every Christian has to deal with the issue of sin. If you don't, sin will control you and destroy you. It's crouching. See that? This is NLT. King James, you'll never figure that out, but many translations say it just this way. That whole gesture, of that Hebrew word crouching is like a tiger crouching. behind. What if, what if when you walked in your house today, there was a tiger crouching behind the door? You'd want to know that, wouldn't you? Well, sin, that's the way the nature of sin is. It's crouching there. I'm, who are you talking to? I'm talking to every one of us. Sin is in our life, and it's crouching there, and it will destroy you if you let it. Christian, you need to be aware of the sin problem. Paul had a sin problem. Paul is perhaps the greatest minister of God, of Jesus Christ, that's ever been recorded through the 2,000 years of Christian history. And in Romans 7, 18, he said, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. You're not a sinner because you sin. You're a sinner because you were born that way. You're a sinner because it's human nature to sin. Nobody, every, every human being ever born except Jesus Christ was a sinner by birth. Your human nature, a pig's a pig, human nature sins, that's what it does. But we wanna, we wanna deal with this in, 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 the, in the context of the whole gospel, the whole New Testament, because when you start dealing with this issue of sin, uh, people can get tripped up really quick and, and, and they just can't process it and know what God's trying to say to them. Here's what's important. No sin is so large that God can't forgive it. You could have killed someone, God can forgive that. You may have raped someone, God will forgive that. You may have robbed a bank, God will forgive. No sin is so large that God can't forgive it. Now listen to this. No sin is too small that it doesn't need forgiving. This is really what we ought to be thinking because most of us Christians aren't doing those big sins I just named, right? Murder, rape, theft. We're not, we're not doing that kind of junk. Is that what God wants? Is just we don't do the ten big sins 
and we can live our lives any way we want to live it? Let me ask you these questions real quick. Do you really see your sins? Are you comparing yourself to others? See, if you can compare, who do you compare yourself to? The people in the jail downtown Louisville? You feel pretty good about yourself, right? Or do you compare, who do you compare? Oh, your brother, your sister, you're doing a lot better than them in life. Don't compare yourself to others. Are you comfortable with the size or amount of ungodliness in your life? Could you possibly be much more sinful than you are aware of? Are you willing to take a look, a true look at yourself? Are you willing to pray, Lord, change me? See, most of us don't have a clue how many times we offend the Lord all day long. All the little things, we don't even call it sin. We say, oh, that's who, who I am. That's just my personality. I'm just like my mom. I'm just like my dad. You know, that's just who I am. I'm not stingy. I'm just frugal. I'm not materialistic. I just appreciate nice things. I'm not obsessed with personal appearance. I just like good grooming. I'm not unforgiving. I just have safe boundaries. Like, I'm never going to see you again. Stay out of my life. I'm not going to deal with this. I'm not unforgiving. No, just boundaries. I'm not irritable. I just have high standards. I'm not ruthless. I'm just a sharp businessman. I'm not bossy. I just want things done the right way. And I'm the only one who knows how to do them the right way, right? Do you? I'm, I'm trying to get you to see that you might have a sin problem. Do you complain about anything, anytime, to anyone? Do you gossip? Shame on you. Do you worry? You have chest pains if you worry too much, all right? Do you get anxious? Live in fear? I don't live in fear, but I go in and out of fear. You get depressed? Do you offend easily? Let me ask that again. Do you offend? Do, do people offend you? Well, yeah, but they were wrong. I'm right. <laughs> no. Great peace have love. Great pe- Psalms 119, 165. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. When you love God enough, you quit getting offended. Do you need to control? Do you need a boss? Do you have a hard time forgiving? Do you get angry often? Do you have a quick temper? Do you have a problem with lust? Are you a taker instead of a giver? A grabber instead of a giver? Are you often selfish? Do you want the glory for things? Do you have a problem with drugs, alcohol, porn, greed, etc., etc.? Are we guilty of any of that on the board? And the deal is, I could have write 200 more little things like that. Human nature is human nature. A pig's a pig. Does anyone really want to change? Most Christians don't want their lives interrupted or even altered. They certainly do not want to have to suffer to be changed. Lord, change me, but I, I can't take any more suffering. God says you don't want to be changed. Lord, Lord, change me, but I just can't take any more pain. And God's saying, you know, I love you just the way you are. I refuse to leave you that way, but this pain's not going to do you any good. So he probably backs it off.
Do you realize how much God trusted Job? He had to trust Job a whole lot in order to put him through what he put him through, knowing that Job in the end would turn back to God, knowing that Job would run from God. Took great trust. Most Christians don't see the need to change because they're living better, cleaner lives than the greater majority of their neighbors. You compare yourself to the unchurched, you'll start feeling real pious, like you're just doing great. Remember, no sin so small that it doesn't need forgiving. You put the big things when you got saved and God wiped all that away and you felt so good. But all the little things that your soul has generated, these sinful thoughts and actions and habits and behaviors, when you just start accepting them as, I am the way I am, this is who I am, I'm not going to change, then you grieve the heart of God. Because God wants to take all that away. God wants to change you. God wants Christian sons and daughters in His image and His likeness. He doesn't want people just play in church. He wants people that, that want it all. We sang that song today, all I want is you, Jesus. When you get to the place that you just want Him, then you'll start praying, Lord, change me, whatever it takes. Lord, change me. Now, how to change? The first thing we got to know is who you are in Christ. Pay, pay attention to this, please. If you try to deal with your sins and you don't know who you are in Christ, or you don't really believe what God says about you is true, then you will feel defeated, guilty, condemned, and ashamed. If you really know who you are in Christ, then you can talk about your sins and honestly face up to them without being offended. And this is the problem. That's why most churches that preach are preaching on sin, people leave there feeling guilty. They leave there feeling condemned. And here we've gone through a lot of teaching on who we are in Christ, so you'd understand that you're not condemned, you're not guilty, you're in Christ. He's forgiven all that, he's taken it all away. But if I just preach that side of the scales and not the other side of the scales, we're never going to get changed. See, your spirit's in right relationship with God, but your soul still must be transformed. It needs transforming. So you want to be changed, you want to be like Jesus, you want to be a bright and shining light to the community, you want to turn the world upside down. Listen to me carefully, you first have to be confident of who you are in Christ. You have to know who you are and whose you are. You have to know what that means and believe that and live through that identity. You're not your old man, he's dead with Christ. If you still got a concept of old heart and new heart in your mind... Where well, you're your old heart and you're going to shrink that and shrink that and I die daily to that. And the new man's going to grow and grow and grow. You better get that out of your head or you're never going to get fixed. You will not advance with God as long as you're thinking you are your old man. Your old man died with him at the cross. I was buried with him in the baptism pool. I'm raised to newness of life. You are who God says you are. Brother Steve, you got a, the handouts for me? I'm going to give you a handout real quick. If you're a couple, maybe you want to share one. I don't, I don't think I made enough. Um, this is simply a handout saying, when God looks at you right now, God looks at you Christian, this is who he sees. You are in Christ. This is what he sees. Now, if you're not a believer today, if you're not a Christian today, these benefits aren't yours yet. You're lost, condemned, in trouble, separated from God, alienated from God. I'll give you an opportunity in a bit to give your heart and life to Jesus. And once you give your heart and life to Jesus, he comes inside of you and he puts you inside of him. You get Christ in you and then you 
go into Christ. There are more, many, many, many more references of Christ, you in Christ, than Christ in you in the New Testament. So this is a very common teaching, but the reason I want to stress it one more time is because so many people uh, just don't believe it. They don't believe. They'll believe what they feel or see instead of what God's Word says. You're not called to trust in your feelings. You're called to trust in God. You're called to trust in His Word, to stand on the promises of God's Word. While the deacons are passing this out, I'll just say, in Christ I am saved, redeemed, justified. In Christ I'm sanctified, made holy and righteous. In Christ I'm chosen and accepted and loved. In Christ I am a child of God. In Christ I have a born again spirit, a regenerated spirit. I have a new man, a new identity. I'm a citizen of heaven and an ambassador of the light because I am in Christ. If you can understand who you are in Christ and live through that truest, deepest, eternal identity, then you can, the preacher can talk about sin. You won't be offended. Your best friend could say, hey, you know what's wrong with you? How many of y'all could take that today? Your best friend came up to you and said, do you know what's wrong with you? Would you get offended? It's because you still don't quite get it. Once you know who you are in Christ, then we can have a conversation about sin and get it all cleaned up and get it out of our life once and for all. Remember, sin's a crouching tiger. It's something we need to deal with. It's, it's the enemy hiding behind the door. It will control you if you don't control it. So this handout, I won't, I, I've given you four pages of scriptures, and I'm going to let you take it home and read it. I'll just go over a couple of them with you. But the first one is, uh, therefore, if any man be in Christ, see that? In Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. We're justified by faith and at peace with God. And because of him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus. God put you in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. How do you get holy? He puts you in Christ. That makes you sanctified. That's how you're redeemed. I love that verse. We're born again, Jesus said. You must be born again. In Titus, it says he gives us a new birth. King James says a regeneration in our spirit. There's spiritual fusion when you get saved. God's spirit joins himself with your inner man or your spirit. And this fusion takes place. Look at Romans 8, 16. For in his spirit, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we're God's children. How do I know I'm a child of God? Because the Holy Ghost is living inside of me and he took my dead spirit and he regenerated. Now it's alive unto God. Now I can... Walk in newness of life. I can walk in the Spirit because the Spirit. We've got a new man. He doesn't sin. Your soul will sin, but your new man won't sin. For in Adam we all die. In Christ we're all made alive. For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. I'm crucified with Christ, yet I live. That's not a complicated scripture once you understand who you are in Christ. My old man's crucified with him. We're buried with him, raised with him. We're accepted in the beloved. We become a child of God through adoption. We didn't deserve that. He just chose us and picked us and adopted us and said, I'm going to choose you and I'm going to love you. We receive a new identity. 1 Peter 2, 9. Once you had no identity as a people, now you're God's people. Bought with a price. I'm not my own. Our sins are forgiven and forgotten. 
Why are you trying to remember them if God's already forgotten them? 2 Corinthians 5.21, my favorite scripture in all the Bible, for God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, once he puts me in him, that's how I'm made righteous. I'm not righteous because of what I do. I'm righteous because of who I am. My identity determines my behavior, not my behavior determining my identity. I'm reconciled to God. I become a saint, no longer called a sinner in the Bible, but now a saint. Page three, no longer suffer condemnation because I'm in Christ. Become an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I become members of the body of Christ. I'm the temple of the Holy Ghost. I'm blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I'm chosen in him to be holy and without blame and love. I'm predestined to be his child. I'm chosen and holy and royal, God's own possession. I'm a child of the light. I'm Christ's ambassadors. I'm a citizen of heaven. The back page, I'm God's workmanship. I've been made for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him. Quit looking for something else to complete you in life. You are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. I can now partake of the divine nature of God. I have the mind of Christ. I have Christ, the hope of glory in me. I approach God's throne with boldness and confidence. I'll have boldness at the judgment seat. As he is, so are we. We have the spirit of love and not fear. We cannot do all things through Christ which strengthens us. And God will answer our prayers in Jesus' name. That's just a few scriptures of the hundreds in the Bible letting you know who you are in Christ. When God sees you, that's what he sees. You say, well, I pitched a fit this morning on the way to church. Me and my wife were having an argument. My mind's been out of control last week. I've been all depressed. I've been angry. I've been... Beloved one, that's just your soul. We're going to learn how to deal with that. You first, first establish this principle that this is who I am. Now, a lot of people don't want to believe this. They want to think they're their old man the rest of their life. And as long as you are that old man, you're going to keep trying to shrink yourself and beat yourself and push yourself down. You're going to live through that identity and you're going to have trouble with sin. You can't beat sin on your own. Religion can't beat sin. You got, it takes Jesus to beat sin. You can't do it. So take this home, study it, and meditate on those scriptures. And I want you to start praying, Lord, thank you for placing me in Christ. And I'm going to start believing what your word says about me is true. I'm going to quit believing my feelings or even my actions. I'm going to start believing what your word says, and I'm going to press, press into that. Now, real quick, the life of Jesus. Jesus Christ gave his life for you, salvation, so that he could give his life to you, sanctification, so that he could live his life through you, service, in Christ, in Christ. There's four critical foundational pillars I want you all to get. Brother Ed shared these with me, and I've been studying them for six weeks or so, and uh, I'm going to teach a series starting today on these four pillars. One's identity, one's image, one's indwelling, one's intimacy. Now we're calling this series Conform to His Image. But you cannot possibly cooperate with God with a peaceful, restful heart when He's breaking your soul unless you first know who you are in Christ. If you think your old man is who you are and God's beating you, 
you're going to think God doesn't love you. You're going, to, you're going to want to run from God. Your heart could get hard toward God. You'll get bitter at God, bitter at people. It just doesn't work that way. You've got to first see who you are in Christ. Because see, the Christian life is a journey with Christ rather than a life to Christ. So many people think, all right, I'm saved, and one day I'm going to see Jesus at the judgment seat. I'm, I'm, my journey's to him. No, he came to live inside of you the day you got saved. He put you in Christ the day you got saved. This is a journey with Christ. He's in me, I'm in him. We're walking hand by hand through this place called time. The journey with Christ. And God is calling us to intimacy with him, which is the highest possible calling. The highest calling of all the world is for you to be called to be intimate with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Intimacy with God, intimacy, communion, fellowship, this, this brokenness that produces this fellowship and communion with God. This is what he's calling you to. But you've got to know, if your foundation is cracked or the, or the river's washed it away, you've got to rebuild that foundation. You've got to understand identity, image, indwelling, and intimacy. Now, captivity steals your identity. I'm just going to make a few comments on identity, and we're going to jump into image, and I'll go. Cap, most people, a lot of people are captive to sin. They're out there in the world, the flesh, and the devil. Drugs, sex, greed, whatever. They're eating of the tree of knowledge of evil. They're eating of the evil side of the tree. So they, they, they're going to be their own God by saying, I'll do whatever I want to do. I am my own God. Now, there's another group of people that are captive to religion. Religions all over the world, or religions right here in this town that are self-righteous and self-confident. That's a different form of sin, but it's just as odious to God as the alcohol, sex, drugs, gambling, all that stuff. This self-righteous thing, religious thing, is odious to the Lord. It, it smells. That's eating of the tree of knowledge of good. They're eating of the tree of knowledge, but they're on the good side, and on the good side, they're going to live real good, and they're going to believe God's going to bless them because they're, they're being good. How many have ever had a choice in life, and all of a sudden it's real apparent you could choose right or wrong, and you ponder it a second or two, then you So I think I'm going to do right because I need God to bless me. Come on now. <laughs> See, you're, you're trying to manipulate God. You're trying to control God. You're over there eating that religious tree, that tree of, tree of knowledge of good. You know, that does, that's, not how, that's not how to do it. See, captivity steals your identity. You become a number. In the world, drug addicts, some people, several people in here have been drug addicts, and for years you're lost in that world, you lose your identity, you're just a number. You're an addict, that's what you are. But religious people the same way, I, there's people that belongs to cults and religions, and their whole identity is wrapped up in that, like, oh, there's so-and-so, he's a, say, let's just say a Jehovah Witness. Or there's so-and-so, he's a Hindu. Or there's whatever religion it is. And, and you become a slave. The person that you're serving becomes your identity. Whether it's a religion, a religious leader, or some religious dogma. Or if it's the drug world. That, see, captivity steals your identity. It, it, it minimizes who we are. What about our past is still holding us captive? That's my question to you. What about your past is still holding you captive that's causing you to not understand your identity in Christ? 
See, we have mixed signals with identity. We, some people are like chameleons. They're, they got one identity at work and one identity at home and one identity at church and one identity on the golf course on Saturday. They got different people they hang around. They change colors for different people. I know people like that. I don't think any of y'all are like that probably. But. <laughs> Charlie Chaplin, back in the days when he was a famous actor, and that was when the black and white movies were out there. Well, he found out someone in Los Angeles was holding a Charlie Chaplin look-alike contest. So he went and entered the contest, and he came in third. <laughs> it's true. That's a true story. True story. We get so many mixed signals about our identity, we don't really know who we are. <laughs> but once you understand who you are in Christ, see, if I'm taken captive by him, then he's my identity. If my whole life is in him, then the world's not going to put a value on me. His value is mine. He's a priceless eternal treasure, and now that's mine. That's, that's everything. You can't become more valuable than that. That's as valuable as you can. I got a lot of scriptures I'm going to have to skip because I'm running late. You don't know who you are in Christ if you get offended easily. You don't know who you are in Christ when your friends tell you what's wrong with you and you get offended. When the preacher hits a nail right on the head and you think he's singling you out or picking on you, you're so narcissistic you think you're the only one in the room. <laughs> you always feel guilty, condemned, never measuring up. That's because you don't know who you are in Christ. You've always been that way and you'll always be that way unless you discover your true identity in Christ. That's got to come first. You've got to know who you are in Christ. You have to get this identity thing established and then we can deal with how to get better. Now we can deal with how to be transformed. Now we can deal with how to fix your soul. So we're going to dealing with identity, dealing with image, conform to his image. And then we're going to deal with indwelling and intimacy over the next few weeks. Image, there's a verse in Genesis 1, God created man in his own image, and the likeness of God created he him, male and female created he them. So God made man in his own image and his likeness, and he wanted this perfect fellowship with man, and man fell into sin, and now man's had a false identity, a false image ever since. So Jesus came to give you that true identity again, that, that, that eternal your deepest true identity is the one that Christ will give you when you give your heart to God. Give your heart to Jesus Christ. Ask Him to forgive you your sins and come into your heart. Beloved, that at this exact moment, He also places you in Christ and gives you this new eternal identity. Amen. So what image do you see when you look at God? you got to get that right. If you're seeing a wrong image of God, you think He's a big dude with a long white beard ready to thump you on the head every time you make a mistake, that's a wrong image of God. He's a loving Father. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's kind. He's loving. He's gentle. He's forgiving. He's just. He's holy. He's righteous. He's true. you got to get the right image of God in your head. Then you got to see yourself the way God sees you. Now, there's two ways to look at yourself. Your new man, the true identity in Christ, or your old man, Satan's false identity, who you were in Adam. I was raised for many years in a religion that taught us we were our old man. We had to keep working on that thing. Well, religion, once it, religion's got you like that, it, you know, you can't let go of it. Until so Jesus comes and miraculously delivered me from that. That's not who I am. My old man is not who I am. I'm not trying to shrink it. I'm not trying to starve it. I'm not trying to die to it. It's already dead. He died at the cross. 
with Christ. So God wants you to be conformed and see what you got to understand. Your soul is the problem. Your spirit is not the problem. It's your soul. Your soul. Our new man, new identity, regenerated spirits are perfect, but our souls are imperfect. God wants to change our soul. That's our mind, will, and emotions. It's our soul that is a mess. A life of bad times, no, a lifetime of bad memories and bad habits and a strong will that chooses wrong. Now that's pretty well the, the simplest concept I can put up there. You got an outer shell, most outer shells your body. That'll be glorified at the resurrection. Then there's your soul and your spirit. Now you got to get this separated between your soul and your spirit. Your spirit's regenerated, born again, new man, new identity, can't sin, in perfect relationship with God. That's God joined to your spirit because the Holy Spirit joined himself with your spirit. Now you're a child of God. All that's in the very core of your being, your spirit. But your soul houses all of that. Like a kernel of corn, the life's inside the kernel, but it's got a hard shell on the outside. Well, how does it ever grow? That hard shell has to be broken and put in the ground, broken. It has to die, and then the, then, the, then the life lives. So our souls have to be broken. Now look at this real quick, Hebrews 4.12. You think you know this verse. The Word of God's quick, powerful, sharpening, two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of thoughts and tents of the heart. NIV says it penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit. I've had that verse memorized all my life. I've used it in so many sermons. But what I never saw is God wants his word to come and separate your soul and spirit. I want you to be able to, when you're thinking, or you're speaking, or you're acting, what's flowing out of you? Is that your soul or your spirit? Now, until you can see that clearly, you need to meditate on this verse, because this is what God's word wants to do to you. Separate your soul and spirit. Divide it. Because, see, your soul is where your, your will is. That's the choosing mechanism of your being. And your mind, it needs to be renewed daily. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's in your soul. And your, your soul is where all your emotions are. That's where you feel. You feel depressed. Or you feel lonely. Or you feel angry. I feel isolated. I feel, 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 feel. These feelings are going to get you in all kind of trouble. You could keep believing those things. Start believing what God's Word says and not what your soul feels. Gain an understanding because when your soul can be broken and the Spirit released out, then you can see people's lives get changed. Sinners will get saved and Christians will be edified and you'll have a ministry in your life that will make disciples. But this is something we've got to learn. Our souls need change. See, the spirit was once dead, now alive, born again, resurrected. That's a sinner. God's Holy Spirit joined himself with our spirit. Our regenerated spirit's in right relationship with God. That's step one. Step two, it's our souls that are a mess and need transforming. Our souls have a lifetime of memory and bad habits. When you got saved, you kept all that in you. You didn't get rid of all that memory the day you got saved. That's still in you. Our wills are in our soul, and it's the will of man that's a trigger mechanism for all our choices. That's what gets you in trouble, is that trigger mechanism in your soul. God has to break our souls to change us. Now look at these verses. 1 Peter 1.9, King James. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. NLT, the reward for trusting him will be salvation of your souls. 
The reward for trusting. No, when I put my trust in him, got saved, I got saved 32 years ago. Well, that was my spirit. Now he's saying the end of your faith is going to be the salvation of your souls. This is what he's working on. This is good. He's working on it from today until that day. Paul often spoke of that day. That day means that day I stand before Jesus at the judgment seat. That day. When that day comes, I'll see the salvation of my soul. And according to 1 Corinthians 3, you're going to have a bunch of wood, hay, and stubble there. They'll be burnt up by the fire. Or you're going to have gold, silver, precious stones. Trusting the Bible says in Philippians 1.6, I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So God is still working on you. What's he doing? He's trying to get your soul transformed. He's trying to change you. But he's looking for people that will say, Lord, change me. Whatever it takes for my will to break, that's what I'm willing to do. Remember that old song? I better not go into a rendition of it. I was thinking about it. You got sin to confess, but don't hit the pit because you got sin to confess. Know who you are in Christ and then confess your sins before him every day. You start praying, Lord, show me the things in my life that aren't like you. Point it out because nobody's pointing it out to me. You start just praying this way, God will be putting his finger on little things. And that's how you, you clean, clean your system out every day with confession. Bible says in 1 John, if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. So you don't have to walk under condemnation to apply that scripture. You don't have to apologize to God for being a human. He knows you're a human. But get serious about cleaning up the little junk in your soul every day by confession unto him. Lord Jesus, put your blood on this sin. Lord Jesus, take this away. You died to take this away. I pray, Lord. I hadn't seen how arrogant I've become. I'm not aware of how I was running over people. I I wasn't aware, Lord God. Show me, Jesus, what's in me that's not like you and change me. Change me. I'm just praying, Lord, change me. I'm almost done finishing up. Our deepest identities in our spirits and has been transformed. You got that? That's when you got saved. It's done. But our redemption is not yet complete. Our souls still need transforming. We're called to the task to allow God to gradually conform our souls to the righteousness and holiness that was created in our spirits the moment we got saved. So let's deal with it. Y'all want to deal with it? Let me put this in order. I think it's the next to last slide. First, I know who I am in Christ. I've got to know that first or I'm going to get condemned and guilty and feel miserable to even dealing with this sinful thing. I know I'm in Christ, so I know there's a tiger behind the door, and I'm going to catch a tiger by the tail and tame the tiger instead of letting the tiger kill me because I know who I am in Christ and why I can deal with anything God's pointing out. Number two, we must see our sins, confess them to God. Most people never get this far in the process. They're saved, they're going to heaven when they die. Don't mess with me, preacher. I'm not going to deal with all this little stuff. Understand, God gave us Jesus to take away our sin. God uses, I mean, use God's grace on your sin. What's that? The blood of Jesus. 
See, every time you do that, you bring glory to God because Jesus didn't die in vain. Every time you say, Lord Jesus, put your blood on this thing inside of me. Take it away. Man, that pleases him. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he died for you. And for Christians that don't ever reach out for that anymore, it's a cry in shame and it must break the heart of God. Cry every day, Lord Jesus, put your blood on my sin. Take it away. Make me clean. Are y'all following that? I need for God to change me in order for me not to do that again. Okay, so now I've confessed my sin. What's going to keep me from doing that tomorrow? God's going to change me. And now that I'm seeing it and I'm wanting to get rid of it, God says, okay, I'm ready to go deeper into you. And start praying, God, change me. Change me. Transform me. I don't want to be this way anymore. Make me into your vessel. Make me into your servant. Make me a broken servant. Make me a broken vessel. Make me, Lord Jesus, what you want me to be. Break me if you have to break me, but change me. Don't leave me this way. Y'all following that? That's my last slide. Let's read it together. God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be just like Jesus. He loves you just the way you are, and I do too. He refuses to leave you that way, and I don't want to keep it that way. I want us all to change together. Can you imagine what a church? Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap that bless you. Amen. Amen. Just think how our church would be if all of us were really serious about this transforming thing. If all of us were working on it every week, just think how gentle we would become. How loving we'd become, how merciful we'd become, how non-judgmental we'd become, how giving we'd become. Man, it would be an awesome church. Try this. If you're having a hard time seeing that you're a sinner, try to do the golden rule. Start tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock and do the golden rule for 24 hours. Seriously, everybody you come in contact with, treat them as you want to be treated. I mean, really try it. Don't do anything that you wouldn't want them doing to you. And you journal your day. And then let me know at the end of the day if you're still not a sinner. I promise you, you'll find out that you, a pig's a pig and human nature's human nature. And we all got problems, all right? Paul had a sin problem. I got a sin problem. You got a sin problem. But Jesus Christ came to fix the sin problem. He came, hallelujah, he came to take it all away. Let's stand there and speak.